So you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? But you, but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people, and it we can move the needle. How often do you hear a hunting podcast? We talked about this. People relate to this. It's uh, it like a job. What's you have that? Anything else to add? What's that? Yeah, exactly. Oh, shit. Uh, all right, here we go. It's uh, Saturday morning, everyone, and uh, I think it's negative six at my house. And I have a longtime friend, outdoor rider, mule deer fanatic, and uh, and you were a firefighter for, what, three decades. Anyway, Mike Duplan, what's going on? Yep, 30 years and three months. I retired uh, officially last 4th of July. And then uh, my last day on shift was May 14th last year. So I'm living the retired life down in Ridgeway and uh, thinking of things to occupy my time. Right now it's a little tough with winter, but, you know, going for walks. I go by myself now because my dog has gotten old, so that's kind of a bummer. He was my hiking and walking buddy. So he's in the last month of his life. We were pretty much... He's a 12-year-old Malamute that weighs 100 pounds, so he made it this far. He's doing good. Yeah, I hope my big dogs live till 12, but it doesn't uh, doesn't sound like that's that's probably optimistic. But uh, but yeah, retired life. I guess probably in the summer, retired life is good. In the winter, it's boring as shit. Can be. You know, it's interesting that one of the things that was difficult to get used to was the lack of social interaction because you know, two out of six days I'd be at the firehouse and it was, you know, boys club basically and having fun talking shit and, and, uh, being busy running calls, socializing, talking about current events with people and all that other stuff. And, and, uh, suddenly that void is in my life now. And so there's a, a little bit of a mental game you have to play with yourself in retirement, especially if you move away from a lot of what you had, like I did. So I'm down here in Ridgeway and, and uh know a few people down here now, some good guys, some some hunters, and so working my way into the scene, I guess. So. Yeah, that's good. But are, we, are we still using that intro music? Like that? I don't, I don't know. How'd you guys get Nickelback to to play a riff for you to open the show? I, you know, I, I gotta be honest. Uh, I don't listen to them. And Jerry mm-hmm. Shaw with Photo Lab Studios, he has different. Um, like music, I don't know what he, like if, you know, there's like a place you go where you don't get sued if you use their, their shit, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, cause he does like all the little intros where you, where we post them on the Kafaro cast Instagram and like the photos, you know, he'll have a photo of you with some of your deer elk or whatever with music behind it. I don't, I don't know where he gets it. I'm just glad I don't have to do it. Um. <laughs> It'd be cool to have Metallica's Enter Sandman as your podcast intro, but uh, I guess you probably have to pay a lot of money for that. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that works. I haven't um, really ever been surprising enough in trouble. I take that back. Three weeks ago on Instagram, I posted a yeah oblivious to the world right you know because i'm always worried i'm using songs or whatever for like reels and things or you know for photos like i don't know what i used yesterday something for these buffalo photos so i'm a bow hunter for the most part but i'll pick up a gun occasionally but i don't really ever get into politics on instagram or you know nothing too crazy well i posted an ar-15 uh just a kind of a black and white artistic looking photo and uh, I just have it down for 
pigs and coyotes and shit when I'm guiding. And uh, <laughs> I made the mistake of saying, occasionally I like to bust a cap. Uh, <laughs> I did not realize the repercussions of social media with that statement. It got uh, yeah. red flagged and I, I got, uh, I called it, I, I guess it's like shadow ban. So, you know, I actually hit, hey, this isn't fair button, you know, and they looked at it and they agreed. But I deleted it, right? Just because I'm like, well, yeah, whatever. It's not a big deal. My next yeah. photo in seven hours had 16 likes. So I was definitely in the penalty wow. box. Um, and and that's kind of, um, you know, talking with other, um, you know, pe- people with large platforms in the industry, um, you know, Kafaru is shadow banned now because we had uh, Viking Armament Rifles, just a link to their uh, website, right? We don't sell, we don't sell, we don't have anything to do with guns. It was just like, Hey, go here. We like these, you know, rifles we got uh where you can't type, you know, you have to type in exactly what you're looking for to even tag us on social for Kafaru. And then, um, you know, on, on my page, I posted a photo with Mike from Fieldcraft. Um, yeah, yeah. That put me in a penalty box. Cause I guess he's a domestic, uh, terrorist or something. I'm not sure. Obviously Mike's a good friend of mine. And, uh, so I got to keep her between the mayo and the mustard a little better. Cause for me, it's, I'm truly oblivious to what I should be doing. Like I don't do a lot of the shit you're supposed to with social, like you're supposed to hashtag 97 people and a bunch of other shit. And I just don't really do that. Photography. I'll tag Canon or put, you know, mule deer, like I don't know, monster muley or some shit, but I don't really follow those rules. I'm going to have to start following them. I think cause, um, I, I'm, I'm not I'm my S, SEO, I guess, my search engine optimization. If you if you yeah. worry about that, uh, which I don't, uh, you do get penalized. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunately you actually have to care about that because it's a it's a luxury not being able to or not having to care about that kind of crap. It's like you know just being indifferent to whether or not that happens or not. You would think you know you, your followers are your followers and and they would be there, but to have to work through the algorithms and, and play the game. It seems, uh, I don't know. It, it's off putting to say the least. So yeah, I which, was thinking about, go ahead. Uh, I'd say which actually some of this podcast will be, will be talking about actually. Um, it, uh, it is weird yeah. because I don't put much text in any of my photos. I don't really put bottom line. I don't put any effort into it. The effort was into the photo I took or whatever. And, it, it is it is unique because there is a X amount of people, you know, like there was four photos of I posted in a row that had like almost exactly eleven hundred likes. And it came yeah. kind of a social experiment of those are there's eleven hundred people that probably uh, get an alert, right, that I posted a photo um, or let's say there's nine hundred and there's a bonus two hundred or whatever. It, it's something I never paid attention to until the last probably three, four weeks. And uh yeah, there's rules to the to the game, and I don't I don't play them, and I probably should start. So, yeah, it, I was uh, thinking about you know that when you mentioned about uh, not putting much of a caption or anything with your photos, I've started actually writing some longer captions with mine because you know a lot a lot of the photos that I'm putting up have a story behind them or some of the videos, and and what I I will start doing in the future is taking more videos of wildlife and that kind of thing, and. Um, digiscoping mainly just because I'm filming in places where you're just not right up on them a lot of the times. But I think uh, people like 
to hear the story behind some of this stuff with whether it be, you know, big moose or, or big deer or anything like that. It's a, uh, I do uh, get quite a bit of feedback from, from that when I do tell a story about it. So what's funny is when people don't, the reading comprehension with some of this is just hilarious. And like I took this picture of a big deer. So it's the one picture that I've had more likes on. And I guess for whatever reason, I got almost 17,000 likes out of it. And it, it went it must viral. Have been <laughs> and I said, I took this photo over 20 years ago. And some guy types back, there's no way that deer's 20 years old you're full of shit or something along those lines. It's like, good God, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I turned Garrett, Garrett Gillespie loose on him. And he's, he's my social media enforcer. It, <laughs> Stupidity. It's funny you bring, you talk like that. So that, you know, that's, that, that went viral, right. Is what they, they call that. Right. right? It, so and it's a shit picture, but it's a freaking awesome deer. I, I posted a video two and a half years ago of me shooting a recurve. This just, just happened. In fact, I'm going to pull this up because it's crazy. And it's just me shooting. It was a far shot. It was like 94 yard moose. And there was um, a building behind it, probably, you know, six, 800 yards behind it. And if I aimed at the second window on the second floor, uh, I could hit the moose right with my aiming method. And uh, so anyway, I just, what's that? Like a foam moose yeah like a, a 3d target a foam moose right we yeah. were at uh, roxborough yeah, and, yeah. yeah okay, okay. So, <laughs> it gets better so um I, it's it's a th- it's a three second video uh slow-mo just of me shooting and the arrow going into the air and hitting the the target yeah. right nothing nothing crazy so um my uh my my instagram is like blowing up like my or my facebook and i don't pay attention to facebook at all i just dump photos on there occasionally um, and that's it, right? I don't, I don't, sometimes I'll respond if it, you know, if it's a, a question guy needs info anyway, holy, this thing is up to 30, hold on, let me, uh, so I'm not giving false info here. Somebody will fact check that and I'll be, uh, whatever told I'm a liar. So let's see. Um, this is crazy. So it's an eight second video and it has 16,000 likes 197 comment and 30 and a half million views wow that went viral on PETA is where that that fucker went viral on um now when i billion <laughs> views 30 million um and uh you know for for i mean i deleted maybe 15 death threats and then i left the other bullshit on there um now there was a ton of good comments too, but like, Hey, I'm going to, you know, anally rape your daughter. Some I crazy shit. Right. I, I took those off. Um, yeah. but I'm assuming that got shared to something, you know, semi cool that got shared to something and then somebody yanked it off. Um, and this all happened right around the time of Derek Wolf shooting the, that mountain lion. And, Okay. You know, with with that mountain lion for people like you and me, you know, it's pretty cut and dry. You find a lion track and then the dogs chase the lion and then you, you shoot the lion. Right. I'm, I'm oversimplifying. Um, Oversimplifying. Well, there's that's <laughs> a mess of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the meat and potatoes. There's a lot in between. Uh, Derek oh, shot yeah. a big, big lion, you know, pretty, you know, like lion hunting can be, uh, you know, bit of physical labor in it and then that got shared on PETA and because it's Derek Wolf and he was a football player well there sure. was multiple people that said when I say multiple probably 20 or 30 that already hated me from PETA 
uh, that said uh, he's learning from Aaron Snyder, which other than verbally is not true. I've never shot a bow or hung out with Derek Wolf. I mean, you know, shows or whatever. Um, not that I, I mean, I would, right? I just haven't. And uh, so they tagged me in that shit. And I'm pretty sure that's about that same time that video went viral. So that was on like uh, Save the Whales or Greenpeace or Peter or some shit. But yeah, it's up to 30 and a half million or so whatever, 30 million and 500,000, whatever it is. So <laughs> and what's crazy, well, a- the, I, not to interrupt, the reading comprehension is what that led me into. Oh, yeah. yeah. What <laughs> type of an asshole would shoot a moose? Um, I hope that moose hunts you down. Mo- well, like, especially a foam moose. I mean, what kind of heartless <laughs> ass? Was, I mean, that foam moose is completely defenseless. It, it, and it, it, that was the crazy part. It was like, it's a foam target, <laughs> people. Uh, how would you, why don't you uh, fling arrows at a man? I'm like, well, that's called manslaughter. Um, <laughs> yeah, so anyway. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's been a couple of years since I've been on the podcast with you. Um and a lot's happened since then. There's a lot going on right now to talk about. I don't know how we're going to get this done in a reasonable time period, but freaking Colorado is nuts. And some of this uh, resident, non-resident, the shed hunting thing in Wyoming is just absolutely silly what it's developed into. And, and this, uh, the tag allocations in Wyoming and, and you know, some of the stuff in Utah and there, there's, there's a, a cultural war against hunting going on in this country. And, and I think people in general in the industry have their heads in the sand right now in regards to that. And, you know, if, if anybody needs to listen to anything, you need to listen to Chris Rose's latest podcast, Dead Man Walking, talking about Colorado hunting and elk hunting in Colorado. And he lays it out and he articulates it. And you need to come up to speed on what the hell's going on because the future of Colorado hunting big game is in peril in it. And I'm not being hyperbolic or anything. This is, this is real and people need to pay attention. And, and we've gotten our ass kicked right now without even knowing it. So it, and I, I had done one with Chris that was quite long on mine and we covered it. Do it. it was torture at times, but I listened to the whole thing. <laughs> Uh, and then Chris and I did one after that that was a follow-up to a podcast I did with Josh uh, Bomar where Josh had gotten in trouble and I had interviewed him, asked him, you know, hey, what exactly, you know, did you plead guilty to? What are your fines? Why so much? It's normal stuff. And then Chris and I did kind of a podcast after that. Um, Chris had done a couple other podcasts with uh, Western Contours, you know, some of his own and you know, the, the one thing I have found with people that are open-minded, thought-provoking, and I, and I did one with Matt Ranella that got brought uh-huh. into all these as well, where it was, um, you know, his views of um, pressure and, and uh, you know, overcrowding and shit like that. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted to get Mike on here to talk about this was Mike is a, well, one longtime hunter, uh, very intelligent person, forward-thinking, and open-minded, right? I mean... And when I say open-minded, you've been around the block. You've seen a lot of different things. You in, in the way that Wyoming, I'm pretty protected, right? Now that I've moved here, Wyoming's very, very uh, protective. Yeah, yeah, and they're very protective of their uh, well outfitters for sure, but their residents. Um, yeah, and and like you said, there's a lot to talk about. But like Wyoming's looking at uh, you know making it illegal. 
uh, where for out-of-state hunters to shed hunt. Um, now it looks like it's for the first week, no out-of-state shed hunters. You have to have a guide uh, to go into the wilderness and hunt. Um, Utah just um, shit can shed hunting because of, you know, the winter uh, has been pretty rough on the deer. And uh, I'm sure, Mike, like, for me, again, it's a social experiment. Reading some of the feedback and the different views on all of this is pretty freaking crazy. Um, and some of most of what I've read is not very open minded. No, you know, people are really concerned about their uh, how it affects them. You know, the the NIMBY attitude, but not in my backyard or or the selfish approach. And I understand it. I, I know what uh you know, the psychology behind what's important to you and how that affects you. And so there's guys, I get it, man. People like shed hunting. It's, you know, I've done a lot of it in my life. I don't do much of it anymore, but you know, I, I've picked up a lot of big brown elk antlers and deer antlers and it's fun. It's a rush when you're out there in the spring and nothing's going on and, and it's, you know, cool, crisp days and spitting a little snow and you're cruising around some mountain ridgeline shoulder and, and you find a big old giant 380 plus elk sheds off in a public land unit and weighing 14 pounds a piece. It's like, holy crap, that is exciting. So, uh, you know, people poo poo shed hunting a lot, but it is fun and it's enjoyable and it's, and it's good exercise and all that. Problem is just like a lot of things in life, people screw it up by, you know, not you know, being respectful to the wildlife and the process. And, and there also comes a point in time where there's just too many people doing it. And so, you know, somebody could take offense to what I just said about not respecting the animals and say, well, what the hell were you doing up there? And having knowledge and, and an impression of where I was at, an occasional person walking across a ridge line is one thing. But when you have an onslaught and a daily disruption of wildlife patterns and behaviors and pushing them off their feet or bedding or whatever it is, it does create a problem after a while. And I watched it happen in Middle Park, north of Silverthorn by Kremlin, where any parking spot on the side of Highway 9 by Green Mountain Reservoir had a different vehicle in it every day starting in March. And guys were just hitting the same spots, pounding it and pushing the deer and elk around. And, and it became a problem. I just, it, you know, so I, I see the need for rules. And I think this whole thing in Wyoming is kind of funny because, they, you know, you're eliminating residents or non-residents for a week. Well, what you're doing is just trying to mentally, uh, I, I guess, uh, create a feeling of, well, it's not even worth going. If, I, if we got to wait a week and all the residents get to hit it first, why even bother going? So I think there's some intent there that just by doing this, they're going to uh, keep a lot of the non-residents out and make them pay a little bit of money. But it's not even enough money that's even half a gas tank right now. So that really doesn't matter. But, you know, these, these rules are put in place because of bad behavior by people. And, you know, there there's a fine line between infringing on freedoms but also trying to be responsible people in the app. And, and that's one of the first things that I wanted to kind of cover. Cause uh, some of the comments I read was just one more thing taken away from us. And it's like, well, yeah. this is not, I do not perceive this as a uh, big, bad government coming in and taking something, you know, from you per se, like, you know, the, the right to, to bear arms. Right. I don't, it's not like that to me. 
this is hindering or lowering the numbers of something you're allowed to do for the betterment of, in this specific case, I'm talking mule deer. Um, and with a really hard winter uh, in Wyoming, Utah, Colorado, same way, once one of the harder winters that you guys have had for a while. Um, you know, you got to look at it as like, well, are they taking um, away? So, you know, thinking of it as a kid, you know, am I taking away a kid's freedom uh, by taking away their cell phone because my 14-year-old boy keeps looking at porn. And I don't think I'm taking away a freedom of his. I think he lost it, right? I think, he, I, th- I think he could not, or some people, in this case my kid, could not handle the freedom they had and treat it respectfully. Um, and then that gets hindered or it gets... Um, you know, I, you, you gotta, you gotta swedge it down a little bit. So there's not as much pressure and that's the way I'm looking at it. Well, Aaron, I consider myself to be a really good driver and I'm very comfortable going 90. However, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. So there's a reason for some of this stuff and you know, maybe that's a poor analogy, but you know, know, this, really. they're all based on people's actions and maybe it's unfair and reactionary and all that and you know a blanket policy for instance like the the uh, colorado west of i-25 rule i mean you and i both know that the front range of colorado the foothills are is a pretty mild winter for wildlife so guys shed hunting in the foothills on the on the east slope of the front range isn't an impact to wildlife at all but it's a arbitrary well i shouldn't even say arbitrary it's a it's a convenient geographical boundary west i-25 the the highway that runs parallel to the front range in colorado from one the north end of the state to the south end of the state they just can pick that just for a convenient location so yeah it's unfair that there's people that can't go shed hunting on front range because the area up around craig is under three feet of snow and the deer are starving but you know it's it is what it is and you know there's battles we need to, to fight in this world of hunting and to me that isn't one uh the one about uh, the wildlife commission being stacked with anti-hunters and wolf advocates right underneath our noses is probably a battle that needs to be fought. No, for, for sure. And I, you know, get a bring it. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, Kind of put things into perspective where I had to check myself and this was, Oh, I don't know, whatever, three years ago, um, photographing, you know, mule deer. And you know where I got photos, a lot of the large mule deer, um, you kind of hang out in those, some of those same areas. And I I got off the trail and got closer to take a photo of a mule deer and a uh, park ranger came down and, uh, you know, gave me some grief and that got into a small altercation. And I was like, look, what about all these hikers running around all over Hell's Half Acre? And he's like, yeah. well, they're on the trail. And I'm like, okay, so let me get this right. There's 60 mule deer on that trail that those de- those hikers or runners just went through. And I got um, off the trail 100 yards, but I'm over 100 yards from this deer that I'm shooting. And you're going to give me crap. And he was like, look, dude, I get it. But if I let you come off the trail... And he said, I have no doubt I've seen you in here before. I know you respect the wildlife, but I left you do it. Then the next guy does it. And they may not have the same views or or parameters you have. And then the next guy does it. And then the next thing, it's a free-for-all over here. He's like, I get what you're saying. And I actually ended up driving around for a while and came back and found that dude and apologized. I was like, hey, man, I, I was a fucking dick. I, I said, I'm sorry. I, I, I said, I get where you're coming from. Shed hunting's no different. Yes, there's hikers on a trail. The deer can choose or elk to not go on that trail. 
you let people come off of the trail to go shed hunting, does it fix everything? Does it mean hikers won't come off the trail? I mean, I get it, but sometimes you have to take a step back and say, okay, is it is finding something that fell off a deer's head laying on the ground that important to my life that I can't say, hey, I can skip a year to help the deer? And a lot of people, it doesn't look like can. And it's, like you said, getting the deck stacked against us at such a high level to where we probably in three years have no chance of winning anything in Colorado is a lot more important thing to worry about than picking up something to fill off a deer's head. No, I, I, I would really urge people to listen to that podcast Chris just did about called uh, Dead Man Walking. And uh, he laid it out and it's just, uh, it's chilling how effective and uh, how uh, easily these guys did what they did with the Wildlife Commission and also passing the wolf uh, bill in Colorado and, and the language that was put in to, to prevent future management of uh, wolves in any sort of lethal manner and bypassing the Endangered Species Act regulations. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't know if you heard also there's a news this week, the well, a representative from the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and uh, two other organizations in Colorado pulled out of uh, this committee for uh, wildlife management, basically citing that they were unwilling to, the committee was unwilling to hear anything other than diversity uh, and inclusion and wolves and uh, just issues that are really not important to hunters at this point. There's no, nothing around habitat and wildlife. It was more about these issues. And this is where the wildlife commission has gone. And, and, you know, there's, I think there's two new seats that are going to be open on the wildlife commission. You know, Polis is basic governor Polis for those who don't know who I'm talking about. He's basically stocked, stocked, stacked the wildlife commission with uh, an echo chamber of, if not anti-hunting, um, not pro hunting people. And so for those that don't know, Governor Polis's husband, Marlon, is a well-known, nas- nationally known and has written um, animal rights articles for publications. And he's a, he's a very powerful advocate for anti-hunting animal rights groups. So there was a plan crafted here and it was basically delivered and people from outside of the state of Colorado helped implement it, write it, craft it, this, this was a plan about changing wildlife management in Colorado and they've done it and they've done it right underneath our nose and the future of big game hunting in Colorado is in peril and people should know this and pay attention. Yeah. Well, and with, um, you know, obviously California, um, thoughts has been going through this for quite some time. You know, the, there's a, uh, predator management or, or lack thereof when that um, gets taken away from you. All of these themes come into play. Introduction of wolves, um, you know, the no more hounds, right? I mean, that you can you can throw a rock in just about any direction and find something going on that is technically getting taken away. And <coughs> it's not the same as like we talked about with, with shed hunting. The biggest thing in Colorado is I don't know what anyone's going to actually do to make a difference. That's what I'm looking at it is what can we do? At this point, it's only about electing a new governor and appointing new wildlife commissioners. And if anybody's got enough deep pockets and common sense, you know, whether it's a uh, uh, Colorado 
Livestock Association and the Outfitters Association, there needs to be court challenges because that's the only, I mean, if you think you're going to go to the Wildlife Commission meeting and pound your fist on the table and talk real loud and change their minds, you are wasting your time and you're, and you're delusional. There's absolutely nothing you can do by, you know, they're, they're allowing participation, but you know, sometimes one of one of the cool tricks that uh, these liberal uh, boards and whether it's county commissioners or wildlife commission, one of the convenient things they're doing right now is allowing zoom meeting participation only in these. And so they have the ability to control your time and just instantly mute you or disconnect you. And so, you know, the, this is a, it's a real frustrating situation, but this is the honest truth on this whole thing. And, you know, we're, we are going to be impacted in the future. And the only way to this is having the governor or actually filing lawsuits in court and getting court injunction on some of the stuff. Otherwise, you know, going to these meetings and pounding your fist and yelling is, is not going to work. So, you know, it's, it's very concerning because there is no, I don't, I don't feel like there's a seriously organized sportsman's contingent in the state of Colorado that has, um, a, a bomb from, from the general populace of hunters. You know, we there's nobody that you know. People are, are saying you know like the sportsmen for fish and wildlife in Utah. Say what you want about them, but you know everybody knows who they are, and and they are active and participatory. Uh, the state. <sighs> I don't feel like we have the same kind of organization in this. Yeah, and what We're in trouble. it does seem like what ha- happens, uh, having a coughing fit over here, I just got over a cold, is, uh, and Chris and I talked about this in great depth off the podcast, um, and Chris is guilty of this somewhat, is uh, no matter where you look for, you know, who who do you support, talking about uh, S- <clears throat> like SCI, RMEF, uh, Mule Deer Foundation, um you know, the sportsmen's for fish and wildlife. <clears throat> if you look hard enough, you're going to find a reason not to like someone or something or some yep. organization. Um, yep. That is a really, for me, hard thing to take lately because, and when I say that, um, if everything you find has a problem and you decide not to uh, donate or participate or whatever, you, you, you end up not doing shit. Um, and so when I say that <clears throat> is uh, RMEF perfect, probably not. Although I think they're pretty good is the mule deer foundation. Perfect. I think they're, they're, they do, do a damn good job. If you dig far enough into SCI, you're going to find something to complain about NRA. You don't really don't have to dig that far. Um, but if overall good is, is if, if that, if that specific organization has 90 per 90% uh, of your paralleling thoughts and viewpoints and you choose to not support them because of a 10% portion of it. I think that's very short sighted thinking. Um, I'd like to get your views on that really. Cause I see that happen a lot. Well, the sportsmen's for fish and wildlife, this, this, and this, you know, they're, 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 I'm not going to support them. Well, who are you yeah. going to support then? Yeah. It's similar to the mentality of, uh, you know, the political choices that you make and one item, voting issues, you know, and all that goes along with it. It's like, you're basically, uh, you know, some people vote independent because they're pissed off, but you know, the Republicans or, or Democrats or vice versa. And so you can basically, as, you know, you know one thing I'm doing is, so you can either do that is, uh, I'm slowly becoming life members of a lot of these 
a life member of a lot of these conservation organizations just in support. And, and, uh, I feel like that's a pretty important part of the process. Um, and it is expensive and, you know, it's like, I don't, I'm not a wealthy man. And, and so, you know, when you talk about life memberships for some of these things are over a thousand bucks, it's, it's a pretty slow process for me, but, uh, you know, that, that's important to be a member of a lot of these organizations. Elk Foundation took a lot of heat 30, from 30 years ago when they, they supported a wolf reintroduction. And, but in retrospect, they see what a major mistake it was and, and how much of a problem it's created in Wyoming and Idaho and in Montana with wolves. And, and so that's really, it cost them for a while. I don't, I don't know if it's or not, but I, you know, I really haven't followed uh, the Elk Foundation's politics in regards to this as much lately. But from what I understand, there's been somewhat of a change of heart towards the wolf issue. And, you know, you see there's glaring examples of what's happened. You know, what's also interesting is that strategically, Colorado is located right in the middle of, you know, five big game hunting states. And so from a wolf reintroduction standpoint, this is brilliant on the part of these animal rights activists and wolf lovers introduce them in Colorado and there's more spread into Southern Wyoming, Utah, New Mexico, Arizona, and Nevada's not that far. So, you know, they're coming, they're coming everywhere because they're coming to Colorado. One of the, one of the uh, stumbling blocks for wolf movement in Utah or not Utah, but Wyoming was what, what you call the red desert, which is basically the sagebrush country from south of uh, the Wyoming range and the wind river range all the way to Colorado. So you get, what, 150 miles of rolling sagebrush country, which is, you know, there's not always a lot of, of uh, elk and, what you know, big game there. So, you know, it's kind of a, it's also what kept uh, moose from naturally occurring in, in Colorado. So you didn't have, see much natural movement of wolves coming down from Wyoming, but they fixed that. They got them coming here uh, at the end of this year. So. Yeah. and, and um, it's, you know, No, go ahead. No, I, I, this wolf reintroduction is just the beginning for Rocky Mountain states. I mean, there there is a reason why Colorado was, you know, ground zero for this. And it made sense. I mean, proximally speaking, like I said, it's, you know, we're surrounded by five other states that, you know, there's no wolves in and, and uh, they'll get there eventually. So. Yeah, you know, for sure. And one of the things like uh, that I had brought up to you that I kind of want to um, – tag on to this, right? Where I, I had uh, one individual yesterday message me. Um, he said, um, are you going to speak out against uh, uh, po- being an influencer? And it was like in a quotations thing, you know, um, are you going to speak out against poaching or are you just okay with it? And I was like, well, <laughs> I said, look, man, I'm obviously not okay with poaching. I've talked about, you know, gives a black eye to the community on multiple podcasts, seminars. And uh, I said, uh, you know, I'm assuming that you're asking me this because I had done uh, two podcasts. I did one with Big Chino and they had gotten trouble for basically like jumping out of a truck and shooting an antelope. And uh, it wasn't in defense of them. It was like, hey, everybody listen to this because I have jumped out of a truck and shot an antelope and I thought it was legal. You know what I mean? Like, I I thought that was, and there's a gray area uh, is what it is. And I was like, if there's a gray area, don't do it. Cause it's up to the conservation offer game warden that, that is watching. And if he chooses that it's not legal, then you're kind of screwed because there's a gray area. So I just talked about that because I don't know anybody that hasn't done the Wisconsin drive-by. If you've hunted for very long, where you roll out of the truck into a ditch, 
to either start your stock so they keep watching the truck or get in the ditch and come off the side of the road. And if you're off the center line, a certain amount, I think it's 250 feet, you're you're legal as I perceive it. Line, I think, isn't it? Whatever it is, I'm not fucking doing it anymore after hearing that story because that was not cool. I was like, oh shit, I have done this. So, you know, people hear what they want to. And then I did one um, with Josh Bomar of, hey, what'd you plead guilty to? How come the fines were so much? And he kind of put a black eye in the industry, that kind of thing. Um, Of course, people hear what they want. And so with one of these two individuals that messaged me, um, I said, man, I got to be honest with you. I focus more on um, the, the, the conservation and aspect of this and and when i and i said when i say conservation i don't mean hashtagging conservation i mean i'm looking at how bad this winter is driving around in wyoming so i can give good advice to any game warden or biologist i see um you know i'm actually working with the local buffalo herd here because they're trying to find land to make the herd larger or whatever anyway um i said man i'm focusing on that i said i just don't see that it's a good thing because you're 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 saying there's ammo for anti-hunters if i'm constantly bashing the ever-living shit out of somebody that's broken the law on my page that seems like that would probably be worse for ammo for anti-hunters than i would be at focusing on mule deer actually surviving through the winter or focusing on good conservation groups or, you know, different organizations. Um, It is weird what people focus on. Like right now, the Bomar thing, right? Like, I don't know. I don't even look at forums. I cannot read about myself. I support poachers because I interviewed him. Um, You know what he pled guilty to whatever. And I'm thinking, okay, I get it guys. You need something to talk about. I just thought I interviewed him, but not fucking one of you have talked about the catastrophic winter we're having and how much this is going to be a kick in the dick in the deer population specifically. Deer. Exactly. Not one of yeah. you have brought up the, the wolves, right? That wolves will crush Colorado in a matter of a decade and many other things. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, that's, you know, you and I uh, talked yesterday and uh, full disclosure, we kind of, just hit on a few things that we wanted to discuss, but it was more like kind of lining, lining things up informally than anything else. But, you know, when you mentioned, uh, oh, like that dude from Idaho that just got in trouble, muley freak and, and, uh, then Bomar, it's like, I couldn't give a shit about those guys because I feel like in the grand scheme of things of what's going on right now, it's not too you know, a, that I approve of what they did or anything, but it's such small potatoes. Let me just say those animal rights activists couldn't give a, fat rat's ass about that guy in Idaho or Josh Bomar. They would much prefer to, you know, publicly shame Donald Trump Jr. or Joe Rogan or something like that, that somebody that's got some notoriety uh, and try to, you know, take a basically a legal hunt and make it look like it was unethical, immoral along those lines. That That's their MO. So saying we're giving ammo to anti-hunters by this stuff is just, it's horseshit. You're living in a cave if that's what you think. Let me just say about Josh Bomar. I was more concerned about him burning his truck down than anything else he did. But filming it, watching him out in this field, light it on fire and not move his truck out of the way, that was my biggest concern for that guy. And then, you know, posting uh, shirtless selfies of himself in the hospital recently, I it's, and I don't know where I saw it, but man, 
there's so much more going on out there than paying attention to these clowns. And when I say clowns, and that's like, they are, they're freaking stupid, doing stupid shit. And they're clowns, man. It, you know, watching that video of Josh burning his truck down was just freaking priceless. I, I didn't even know who it was at the time when I watched, it. I knew his name, but I had never paid any attention. And being a retired firefighter, I'm, I'm sitting there watching this shit going, this guy's going to burn his truck down. Yep. Yep. It's going to happen. He should move it. <laughs> what? I mean, what you're saying is, is, is true, right? What's that? <laughs> I said he was going to get he'd get busted by the insurance company for fraud. With I mean, this video is priceless. It's like, you know, it's it's really bizarre in my mind. Well, I, I, and, and we talked about that some, and it was uncomfortable for me. We videoed it because I knew people. I wanted people to be able to look at him. Right. Like, yes, he could have prepped or whatever, but you know, how you look when you talk says a lot. Like I look for little tells when I'm talking to somebody, if they're feeding me shit. So I, I wanted to video it. And in the end, I kind of wish I wouldn't cause you could see I was uncomfortable as fuck when I, when I did the video. Um, now we, we turned off comments on that cause I didn't want to turn into a dumpster fire, which led into, yeah. I don't know how many hate pages I was on where they're talking shit about me. And I'm like, it's pretty simple it's very, very simple why I didn't turn on the comment section. I didn't want to have to answer them. I didn't want to read them. No. Right. And it's no. like, well, we should have the freedom of speech to uh, give feedback. I'm like, well, give it somewhere else. I don't have time for that shit. I did yeah. the the interview. Right. And and I told Josh, I said, man, you you know, it does give kind of a black eye to hunters. Uh, not kind of. It gives a black eye to hunters and some of the different things that have popped up with burning your truck down did not help kind of your own worst enemy. And, um, you know, and Josh is a friend. And I said that now when I say that I met Josh once, but he's somebody I talked to online and and he's very good. <clears throat> Again, something else that popped up. Um, you know, I said he's very intelligent and people were like, well, he he burnt his truck down. Uh, how smart is he? I'm like, well, I didn't say he was smart at everything. He, he, he does very well at running businesses. He's very successful and he's one of the hardest working guys. I know he's also his own worst enemy, right? He does dumb shit. Um, no, he, I'm sure he was thinking while that fire started, I could get this under control. This will be some good content. My, my truck's in peril and, and I'm going to save my truck and, and make a great video. I'm like, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, 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 you know, but I, I mean, going along the lines, that is what people focus on. And that's where Chris will lose his shit quick. Oh yeah. Because yeah. he's like, you're focusing on this and who gives a fuck. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, Chris and I were on the uh, Rocky mountain bighorn society board together. And, uh, you know, I, so we've got a little history together and, uh, and so having that with Chris, I always knew, you know, he, Chris has got the gift of gap and he, he can rattle stuff off. He's got a great memory. He's got, he, he's very smart and, and he's also got a great uh, ability to re- retain information and knowledge. So hyper intelligent guy, in my opinion, and listening to him on his podcast that when I listened to yesterday, I listened to that whole thing yesterday, the dead, dead man walking and it's like, I called you up and I said, the most impressive thing is this guy was by himself and he could wrap shit off for over three hours without any pregnant pauses or anything like that. I'm like, I, I don't even know how you could do that. It, I'm, I'm incapable of it myself. I don't think I could do that at all. But it's impressive. And, and he's got a lot of information it's worth listening to. But, you know, as far as the other stuff, this is all, that, that stuff is a distraction in small potatoes to, 
the war on hunting that we're going to be undergoing in the next few decades in this country and in this state. And I think people really need to think about what they focus their energy and emotion on. And, you know, you could, you can be all upset about some of these guys that have done some of this stuff and, and, and Josh Bomar and whatever. He's like, Jesus, I, I think Josh is getting coming to him at this point. And, you know, I don't wish ill will on, on very many people and, and, you know, whatever he, he went through the court system and all that. And if he wants to denial and paint it a different picture, that's fine. What that's his prerogative. If you don't want to follow him, don't follow him. If you don't want to watch his, his content, don't watch it. If you don't want to buy his, his muscle man powder, don't buy his muscle man powder. It's like, whatever, just move on with your life and concentrate on what matters. You know, the, the things that impact you directly. And, you know, if you want to be, hunting in Colorado with any seriousness in the future, um, you should be wide eyed right now with what's going on. And, uh, it's, it's, you know, the next election for governor in this state is super important if you want to stop some of this stuff. So that, that means convincing some of the people that, you know, that vote democratic, it'll be almost impossible because of the the voting makeup on the front range of Colorado and the big cities. And and I think it's getting worse, if not better. So, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff we need to worry about, and and Josh Bomar and some of these other guys aren't aren't that. So and I say focus elsewhere. I well, and I I uh, I get a kick out of some of this while we're talking about it. I had some screenshots on on Rockslide, which is a website I started. Which looking back now, I probably shouldn't have because now I get to read about myself on there. Of uh, we're not going to support Kafaru because uh, Muley Freak flies the Kafaru flag, and I'm like. Wait a minute, I'm getting fucking penalized because he wears my pack? Like, I didn't give him the pack. I don't pay him, you know? And it's it's like what people hyper-focus on. And, you know, I distanced yeah. myself from from uh, Eric, is the, is his name, probably. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I left base map. He was kind of running that thing. I got away from that. And I don't have any issues with Eric personally, right? I mean, I don't hate Eric, right? But... You know, the the poaching thing um, that just happened, like he's not getting out of that one, I don't think. And the first one was kind of a shit show, but I think he got out of it. And you can tell how much I pay attention. So I maybe yeah. maybe that is condoning poaching because I'm not diving balls deep into it. It's like, hey, if he's fucking guilty, he's guilty. Okay. And then and what, he's... What, what is he actually doing? He's selling t-shirts and hats. Yeah, and I mean, that's old. You know, it, there's... Uh, you know, obviously self-promotion and for the most part, t-shirts and hats, in my opinion, and, and selling products from other people that manufactures it. It's like, okay, well, here's a good idea. Don't pay any attention to them. Don't buy stuff. If that's what, if, if you're so concerned about it, just that's how you can answer it. Yeah. It's, it's pretty simple. It's the hyper focus that's crazy to me because, and, and Mike and I have known each other for a, a long time, and Mike and I don't agree on on everything, and Mike and I make fun of each other for shit, and you know I did a podcast with with Bomar, and and Mike is not a huge fan of of Josh. I mean, we, I haven't asked you that, but I can tell you're like what a, what a clown, but Mike doesn't hate me. For doing a podcast with Josh Bomar, we're talking about shit that actually matters. That's just, this is just, we're paralleling talking about why are you focusing on that? So when, when Mike and I sit and have a discussion, if we have a talk for an hour, three minutes may be on, fuck, I can't believe he burned his truck down. The other, the other 97 minutes or, or other 57 minutes, 
we're generally talking about fuck the mule deer in this unit have taken a beating man i don't yeah, yeah. you know what M- mature mule deer i don't know if that buck was nine he might have been 10 he was a damn good deer shit that to me is more important than what the yeah. latest greatest person is doing on social media it's not it's just not my thing or mike's no well, not at all mike and when you wake up do you look at my page so you can go post about what i just posted I'm sorry. What? When when you wake up in the morning, do you go do you go straight to my page or someone else's to see what I posted to have something to bitch about? I'm trying to think of right now if there's anybody I'm so worried about that I would go to there. Like <laughs> <laughs> that would be a priority for me in the morning. You know, like like many people listening, there's part of the morning routine is drinking coffee and and thumb scanning with my phone while I have the news on in the background. It's just you know, maybe it's a, a waste of time and a mistake, but that's just part of my routine in the morning. You get up and, and do that. But, you know, it, I'm not too worried about anything. Some of the, you know, I'm, I actually look forward to seeing what some of the photographers post more than anything. And there's some guys that have some really tremendous stuff. Um, that That's often uh, what I do is look for that kind of thing. If I was going to look for anything. so. And and that's kind of my, my point to that was like, and maybe I'm oblivious to a lot of things like when I'm scrolling, I do the same thing you do, right? I wake up, I check my messages, answer whatever questions I have. Um, the photographer, untamed images, uh, Mark Payton, there's several other ones, your page, like I'll always look for photos. I'm, I'm this point more into photography than I am into to, to hunting to, to a certain extent. And then I will go check certain, um, uh, I'll, I'll Google, not on Instagram, but I'll Google certain things, kind of stay updated. Um, the, the winter I'm, I'm paying attention to the weather. Uh, I'm paying attention to the winter areas. Like I'm, I'm looking because for, for me and, and as I get older, like, and it, I'm not looking at it just cause of what the fuck I'm going to put in for. Right. I'm looking at it like Jesus, that unit will not be the same for another 10 years. Like this unit's going to get crushed. And then now where I'm at here, I'm driving around seeing what kind of an ass whooping they're taking. Um, those things I, I, I look at. Um, Mike, you're more of a mule deer hunter than, than I am. I mean, obviously you wrote a book about it. Um, in all your, your, your history, I would say the winter of 07 and 08 um, was a pretty big dick kicking in Colorado for, for mule deer. Oh, not, not, it was the biggest in, in modern recorded history. I, you know, I, I've heard talk about, you know, another winter in the, I think it was, was it 88 maybe? And the winter of 92, 93 was pretty rough, I believe. But now 07, 08 was, it, it changed the face of Colorado mule deer hunting and it hasn't been the same. So what's funny is that, you know, Colorado still has this reputation. Oh, you know, you see when the draws come out, people, I got my Colorado tag, you know, that's all exciting. A bunch of back slapping for, people to get to, and it, it's different, man. It's, this is not the same mule deer hunting that you applied for 15 years ago. And, uh, let's talk, it, it is, let, let's talk about, quite a, let, yeah. let, let's I've talk. never been so sick about the state of Colorado, Colorado mule deer as I am right now. And I'll just preface our conversation by saying that. Well, I, with, with that and what you and I talked a little bit about yesterday and something, uh, Chris and Mike have both given me shit about being not like a horrible, you know, uh, trophy hunter. And what Chris and I talked about on the podcast is as a, a hunter and someone that's a steward of the land, 
are people capable of not shooting an animal because they need content? That was a big conversation Chris and I had. And, you know, he was talking about like, well, I had brought up, like I felt bad for the deer in Arizona. Um, And when I say that he was laughing and I'm like, dude, I'm not fucking kidding. Like, you know how much I hunt and how much I shoot. And, you know, I don't want to say blood hungry, but you know, I like hunting. And I was like, dude, I felt bad for the deer. Like, and I said this to him, you, and I think I said it on a podcast. If I was born a deer in Arizona, I would swear to, I would pray to God for a small penis and a tiny rack. I don't want someone hunting me. Like there was little ninjas everywhere. And, you know, I didn't feel bad not shooting. I mean, I could have shot some shit, right? I mean, like I, I, it was, it was funny because there was two or three different stocks I went on where I got on the deer. I didn't, I didn't shoot it. And I, and I have a compound from range is a little better now than with a, a, a recurve. And I was on a three and a half year old and it was like a five by seven. And that's way overselling it. It was about 14 inches wide. And it was just one of those weird looking unique deer that's never really going to amount to shit. It just had a bunch of stuff growing on its head. And I walked back and uh, Rotier was like, yeah, I was wondering if that thing was going to die or not. And I'm like, dude, even the, you know, the special needs bucks got to live down here. Like they need all the help they can get. And we were making jokes about it. Yeah. Give talk about that a little bit. I know Mike is not against a, a new hunter, you know, getting whatever animal they can, but there's a certain point you really have to look at. Do you really need to shoot a two and a half year old deer? So you have something to post again. Yeah. For your, your third one this year and your, your seventh one in five years or whatever. It's a, um, I think hunters in general are pretty incapable of, uh, kind of managing themselves, so to speak. In, in other words, uh, you know, I, doing what's best for the wildlife. It's like people, um, they, you know, they want to hunt, they want the opportunity and I, and I don't blame them. You know, that's, I want to do the same thing. And, uh, we talked yesterday about, a, you know, a guy that had posted about seeing 200 does on his mule deer hunt and not a buck. And I, and my response was, well, maybe you probably shouldn't be hunting bucks there i mean that seems you know it seems pretty obvious that that's probably the answer right there but you know the state's giving him the tag and and he's hunting there and whatever that's that's fine that's his choice that's his individual right and decision he's not doing anything illegal but you know i i don't think we can there's not enough browbeating that can be done on uh the internet to keep people from um wanting to do what they're gonna do um, so in other words, that's up to the state to regulate hunter pressure and keep it in a, in a, in a rate that, uh, there's diversity within the age structure and age class of mule deer. Where, where in other words, you know, every time a mule deer survives a season, a bunch of his buddies got shot. So you, you go, you know, three, four or five years in a mule deer's life past the age of two. And, you know, you've had that pressure every year pretty soon that that makeup of those mature deer is pretty low and when you have heavier hunting pressure you know the odds of a deer making it you know look colorado's got an archery a muzzleloader three rifle deer seasons and so he's running the gauntlet five times every year in seven years that's 35 hunts that he survived an opening day crush so you can see why there's not a lot of mature deer in a lot of places when you know, we've ramped the tags up 
they're, they're at such a, a different level than they were in the past. And the chronic wasting disease management is part of the equation where, you know, if there's a high enough uh, positivity rate in the testing, um, from what I understand, and, you know, I don't want to be held to this like in a court of law by my quotes, but I believe um, if there's a 30% prevalency in tested deer, then they're managing for a 5% buck to doe ratio because the assumption is that the bucks pass CWD on what, as they travel from doe group to doe group. So, you know, if you're applying uh, in a unit that's got that kind of a positivity rate in chronic wasting disease, you, you are, and you're upset because you didn't see any mature deer, you're just ignorant to what's going on. And, and I don't say that like ignorant, like you're stupid and, but you just don't know. You've applied for a tag that you virtually have no chance of seeing anything over the age of two years old. So, you know, there, there is a, an element uh, here that, you know, with uh, what's going on in our world, we, we do need these state agencies to help us control pressure. If we want, you know, diversity in the age class and represent, representation from older age class deer, I think there's a, an intrinsic value to having and knowing that there's a big buck on the landscape. You know, it, it may not be what everybody's going to get or hunt for, but just knowing they're out there is super important to me. It's like, you know, I, it's a, it's a very uh, disheartening thing to think that, you know, going up around Kremlin, you know, you know, Clay Hill and he's a good friend of mine and he doesn't even hunt up there. They don't guide. They don't outfit up there anymore because there's no mature deer. They can't, they can't even find three-year-olds. And it's, it's sad to know those deer aren't even on the landscape anymore. And part of it though, you know, over hunting based on the chronic wasting disease management, over hunting in our opinion, but uh, CPW, Colorado Parks and Wildlife, thinks that that is the plan to to go with right now so we we've got a changing face of, of western big game hunting and the opportunities are going to be de- decreasing and big bucks are going to be harder and harder to get and you know it's uh people are going to be thinking back on on what we have right now 10 15 years from now and thinking some of these guys are going to think the good old days were right they have no idea well so, chris and i talked about that and you can attest to that much more than even Chris and I. Um, I, and I, yeah, I forget that, right. I'm, I'm guilty of when I'm talking about limiting tags, when I'm talking about upping prices, when I'm talking about things like that and guys get super pissed off, like you're a fucking asshole. I dude, I've gotten some bad ones, right? I want to come out West every year. That's my right. And you're going to take that away from me. And I'm like, I'm just saying in Colorado, I don't think there should be any more OTC. If there is, there should be caps. I think we should let the the herd rebuild. There's still going to be people hunting. Um, they're going to have a better opportunity. And I would much rather hunt every other year, every third year with a great chance of success, getting to see bull scream or larger deer, whatever. Then I would bow hiking three years, uh, every three. And, Mike, me, Chris, we can all, we're from Colorado where we've lived there a long time. Um, I'll get something right every year if I go now. But now it's to the point as I've, you know, personally matured as a hunter somewhat anyway, and and especially with a compound in my hand. um, You know, in the high country, man, there's still a lot of deer. They're just young as shit, right? And when I say that, I mean, that one basin, we saw 28 bucks. I didn't see one four-year-old. This was last year 
man, that's not good, right? And and there was one donkey that ended up coming out of the woodwork that we saw that was that that one you're looking for, that 180 to 200 in the high country or what I'm looking for, right? I want to see a big buck in there. Whether or not I shoot it, right? But like you and I talked about, I shot a 2018-19, I shot like just a massive, we ended up having him aged. He, he ended up being 12-year-old three by three. Just as is is nasty and old a three by three as you could get. That was one of the last old deer on that mountain. Like there is not that many. And so when you draw that tag, I get it, especially out of state uh, hunters. They come in 28 deer. They're not really familiar with mule deer. They they come. I get it. Right. It's awesome. You come in on a stock, you're above them. You get a you know, 25 yard shot and the, it is awesome. But we're not allowing any of the deer to live. You made a right? point of what you, you kind of quoted somebody saying that it's my right to do this. Well, I think there's a confusion in a right and a privilege. And uh, a lot of what we do in hunting isn't just a unalienable right. It's a privilege based on excess animals on the landscape that can be managed. And, and the, you know, we, we can't, we can't do it to the peril of the wildlife that we love. And so when, when you want to talk rights and privileges, uh, those are two different things. And I think people confuse that, you know, having a, having a driver's license is a privilege. It's a, it's a privilege based on your behavior and yeah, you have a right to get one, but you know, part of that right is, uh, the responsibility that goes with having a driver's license and, and you'll get that privilege taken away from you if you screw up enough. So, you know, there, there's a, I get that there's a mentality in this country. We are very comfortable and with our freedoms that we, that we have and that we possess and, and God, I'm glad we have, I mean, it's like this country is like no other country on earth and we're damn lucky to have what we have. And, you know, all the, the geniuses that put this all together with the bill of rights and the constitution and all that years and years ago, before they even considered these things that are impacting us now. But, you know, we, we do need to make sure and have a, an open mind to what's going on and, and not confuse rights and privileges and be responsible stewards of, of the wildlife and the land. If, if you want to hunt every year to the peril of the resource, then, you know, there is a problem there. You know, I, I just moved to Ridgeway from Summit County and, and I've seen a massive change in the hunter pressure up in uh, the Silverthorn and Kremlin area in the last decade, it, it really, you know, I, I, I went hunting with uh, Tanner this year on his bighorn sheep hunt and seeing the archery pressure in those mountains, uh, it, I was astounded It was at what we saw. It was, it was comical because, you know, there's a lot of guys, I mean, well-intentioned guys, good dudes. I talked to a few of them at the trailhead, gave them a few pointers of where to go. And, you know, I, I was at the trailhead and I said, listen, man, see what you guys are doing. And I don't want to try to dissuade you. I'm not trying to send you somewhere else. I'm not elk hunting. Don't elk hunt here. I could care less. I said, but you're not going to see anything here. I can promise you that you will not see an elk here. And I gave him a spot on the map. One of the guys thought I was full of shit and just wanted to send him somewhere else. And the other guy was real grateful. And, and it was funny. It's like, uh, I thought you have no idea what a, what a freaking bonus you're getting right now by me giving you a hot tip of where I think you should go. It's like this guy looked a gift horse in the mouth with the, the spot. I basically put an X on the map for him. I said, it's hard to get to, but you're going to find elk there. You won't find any elk up here. It, and, it, you know, 
This is a changed world, man. Well, and the the thing with with this is like, um, you know, being realistic. You know, I'm us, using me as an example with like elk, and I told Chris this. I was like, man, I really like to eat elk, and when the population's good enough, yeah, I'll shoot a small elk. Um, and when I say that, like, I uh, even a small elk's a big elk. Like a three and a half year old bull, is still a lot of meat. I like elk meat. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm realistic to that and I don't have anybody issue with guys going out and shooting a spike. Like if the population's there, rub some funk on it, right? Go hunting. I mean, I, or a cow or whatever, the, the thing that, that, that you have to, the, for me, mule deer and elk in Colorado are different. The elk herd's still good in Colorado. It's gone down some, the mule deer are at a depressing level. The elk herd is still pretty damn good, but there is a lot of pressure. And I think the elk could be turned around. And when I say turned around, just a better experience. Um, you know, and, and Mike doesn't, that Mike more rifle hunts than, than bow hunts, but he's familiar with both me in the early season. And, and I'm not going to give, I don't want to screw him up anymore, but Mike and I are, I hunted in some of the same areas Mike's talking about in 2014, for example, in one of the areas generally where Mike's talking about, it wasn't uncommon with some work that you could easily shoot like a 300 inch herd bull in archery season to a 320. And when I say herd bull, like f- for that first week of season, he's one of the bigger ones in the group. I don't want to say herd bull because there's some donkeys in there. A lot of cows, you can always bump around into different basins. Fast forward to 2022, there's no elk there anymore. They're gone. Like when I say gone, there's a few there for the first day, maybe, right? And uh, even the wintering range, or excuse me, even the summer feeding patterns in some of those areas have changed. That's fucking yeah. crazy for that summer feeding pattern to change. Oh, like, yeah. You know, what's interesting is the disclaimer that you just threw out there before you just said all that is basically you don't want to, you know, make these areas any worse than they are now as far as hunting pressure. Well, it's like how, and then, then I ask myself, I know there's people that do this. They'll listen to what we just said and, and you'll, and they'll try to pick up on where we're talking about and they'll completely ignore and discount what we just said is that the hunting basically sucks there right now. Well, no, they're saying, well, Mike Duplan was there and Aaron Snyder used to hunt there. We should go there. But did you not listen to what we just said? We said the hunting sucks there and it's changed. It's, it's not the same. There's, there's too much hiking pressure in the summer. The animals are displaced. They're not in the same areas. And you'll have a lot of trouble even finding animals to hunt there. So that's the truth right there. But people hear what they want to hear what they want to hear. And they'll try to pick up on some of this stuff and still want to go there. And and that's head scratching to me. There's got to be a more intelligent approach than that. Like what, what we're talking about, some of these areas are pretty proximal to the Denver area. People ought to know by now that, you know, there's millions of people on the front range of of Colorado and in, in Denver, Fort Collins, Colorado Springs, anything that's an easy drive from those big metropolises with high human population, they're going to get hammered with hunting pressure. If you're an outer out of state guy and and going to a spot that's within less than two hours drive from Denver, you probably ought to rethink that at this point. You know, people people need to be much smarter in their approach at this point. That's the thinking men are going to and women are going to get the deer and elk, not the people that are chasing gut piles gut piles that are a decade old yeah and 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 i i this is i i'm speaking for mike this is not mike and i trying to 
get you away from the honey hole because the honey hole is fucking gone, right? That it, it is not what it it's used a to vinegar. be. What's that? It's a vinegar hole, not a yeah. honey hole. Yeah, it's a gar hole. Um, so I, I, Mike, I just sent you a a, a picture. Um, so with one of the areas where Mike and I are talking about, um, uh, that, uh, let me know when you look at that. Um, yeah, I got okay. Nice buck. That, that is an Aaron yeah. Snyder buck. That's a 148 to 165. That's my buck, right? That's what I've been shooting yeah, for total. quite that, some time. That's a one- 180 plus Instagram book. That is. If I had a better camera and the knowledge I have now, I could have made that book a lot, buck look a lot bigger. But that's just an average decent deer. And and that's a deer that I could take out of that area and be choosy. Meaning, you know, I that was a four-year-old um uh buck that had a couple bigger ones that Mike certainly would have waited for. I, on the other hand, blew that buck out on the way to this one and had no problem shooting this one, but they were there, was my point. That unit, I could easily shoot a three to four year old five by five or six by six bull every year. And a one, I'm going to say 150 to 165, four to five year old mule deer every year with a bow or have the opportunity to do it. I cannot stress this enough. That was in 2014. That is fucking gone now. And when I say gone, you will be lucky to find a deer and, and when I say find a deer, like literally in the high country, you will have to search to find a mule deer. They're there, but it's hard. It'll be almost even more impossible to find something over four years old. Yeah. Let me offer a little perspective to what you just said is that you're talking about these are, you can't find them up there in the summer. They're gone. Well, so understanding that, you know, deer are spread across the landscape. Not all the uh, deer or big bucks in the unit are going to be up in Alpine basins. It's just more conducive to archery hunting that way. You know, there's going to be deer down in Aspen pockets, timber, that kind of thing. Uh, but one thing we do know is when those deer are on the winter range, they're all concentrated. The bucks are in groups, they're in bachelor groups, they're in pockets. They go to the same places every year in the winter. And so what you have now is you can't find a 180 buck on the winter range in a place where the time reference that you're offering, I could go around in the winter at that point and see a half a dozen 190 to 200 inch bucks in a day looking around the winter range. And now I couldn't find a 180 buck if my life depended on it there. So that, that's, you know, that, that says a lot because the winter range is, is visible. It's concentrated, it's open and you can't find them. So that means they, they are simply not there. They aren't living long enough, too much hunting pressure. Yeah. Whether it's from, you know, tag allocations due to CWD management or just uh, a new breed of hunter that's just basically shot everything out. And so, you know, that that's that's just part of Colorado. Much of Colorado is that way. There's, you know, some of the, you know, the these refuges of private land are, are allowing deer to get big in some places. You know, I, I had one guy like send me a note. Well, I've been able to kill a 190 buck every year. I don't think the deer hunting is as bad as you say. Well, he's... He's hunting uh, hay pastures on the western slope on private land. Okay, that's where my <laughs> no deer shit. goat went to. Yeah, that's that's. <laughs> yeah, when I say that, I'm semi-joking, semi-serious. Deer and elk go to where they're not bothered. You know, they go yeah. to where they're safer, where they can do their thing. And I'm I'm not saying a high country buck is going to all of a sudden on a Monday decide, you know what, I'm just going to head down to the to the cattle, you know, to the flat land in the valley. But they will yeah. over time move. Um, yeah. and, and 
I don't want to paint all doom and gloom, but I, I, with all the flack that I've taken and you probably will now limiting numbers, right? Bumping up prices. I'm not talking about taking away your freedoms. I'm talking about extending them, right? Your, your privileges. If, if we can work on, yes, you might not get to hunt for a few years. I understand. I love hunting. Um, I get it, but I would much rather be able to go into a basin where you see 20, 30 bucks and four of those bucks are between 165 and 190 to now seeing 145 inch deer is the biggest deer you see. And, and and I am not a trophy hunter. I'm just saying it's just going to keep spiraling down the shitter if we don't do something. And, and so you're, you're referencing like a boot and Crockett score for the, basically what we're talking about is an age class of deer. So you're not seeing much over two and a half years old, which is basically a buck second set of handlers. So basically by the time his third year has come, he's, he's dead. He's, he died as a, a two year old the year before he got shot. Um, so deer just aren't living. They're not living long enough to, to be bigger. So it's, it's not like the Boone and Crockett score isn't a reference to like the quality going down or anything. There's an age class. The hunter pressure is high enough where it's just keeping deer from getting old. So there's, there's too many tags. And so you have to ask yourself, well, the, there's a, a budgetary thing with these state agencies and like it or not, they, they run off non-resident dollars. And so uh, if you are going to reduce tags, without any sort of compensatory um, adjustment, these agencies cannot fund themselves. And so it, it's a, just a component. It's a, it's a reality that we have to live with. And I'm willing to pay more for a deer tag or an elk tag, but not everybody is. And, and people, you know, I, I can appreciate that they'll argue they can barely afford whatever they are doing right now. I get it, man. It's uh, filling up a diesel pickup what probably over 150 bucks at this it is point. For mine, yeah. <laughs> uh, going to the grocery store, it's just, I'm, I'm, you know, I just uh, drink Coke Zero and I basically quit drinking because it just pisses me off that a 12 pack is $8 now. So, <laughs> just so for principle, yeah, we can still have Coke Zero. Uh, well, so, with- but it's a lot. I mean, inflation is real. This is, it's crushing our country right now. Um, so I get that there's a, a component to all this that, you know, everybody's got their own set of values there. Everybody's got their own, uh, budget, but the bottom line is if we want quality hunting and I, when I say quality, there's more than, you know, it's not just simply about killing big bucks. That's, that's not the quality. The quality is the experience too. You know, when I talked about the sheep hunt, I went on with Tanner and, uh, you know, talked about all the archery hunters that were up there and there was one night, two dudes. And it was like, uh, this is, was opening. So it was Labor Day weekend. It was right before the sheep opener, the bighorn sheep opener. And these guys were having a primos bugle fest about a hundred yards from my camp in the timber. And I, I, I was just sitting there chuckling. Like, I'm like, I can't believe this. <laughs> these guys are doing this right now. And, uh, it, it just is what that's just an example of the kind of hunting pressure that's out there. It's like people are just uh, out there for the experience in, in a lot of ways. And now, and it's interesting. There's a that brings up a different approach. The good old, There's, the good old days, though. Yeah. That's their good old days. Yeah, 
so the, a lot of these new onset hunters, they're really consumed with the process. And it's interesting because, you know, they're getting into it and buying all the gear and, and bows and, and there's, you know, some, some sexiness to all that. And, you know, the, the hardcore backcountry thing. And, and so what, what I find interesting is uh, there's guys that are content with the process and the equipment and just going through it and it's, and being successful doesn't see, you know, I know they'd like to be successful, but it doesn't seem to be a big priority based on their actions. But part of their actions are based by, based on inexperience and lack of knowledge of wildlife behavior, habitat, the, the local knowledge that you gain from hunting an area for a while and, and knowing where to go, all that's a much bigger component to uh, hunter success than simply uh, hammering in, in a, a synthetic lightweight gear with a, with a cool pack. So, well, yeah, the Chris, Chris and I talked about that though. That is their good old <laughs> days and they don't know any better. And that process <laughs> is it. And I yeah. got a little flack for it, but I said, man, if I played basketball every year and the ball never went in the hole, I would have to find another way, right? I would need to take up a new hobby or, or, and then maybe that's because of, of earlier success because of, you know, better population or I don't, I don't know, but I, 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 man, I can do the process without packing around a nine pound fucking bow, right? Like I can go hiking whenever I want. I love to high country fish. I like photography. And for me, I want to hear elk screaming in my face. I want to have my heart pumping 20 yards above a mule deer. And know when I shot that that deer, that I didn't just um, shoot the last fucking three-year-old on the mountain, right? I mean, I like it. There's something to that. And I get that maybe I'm in a different place because I've got to hunt more. I'm older. Same with Mike. But man... I think if you were part of the good old days, you know, a decade or two ago, you would realize like, wow, it is a lot funner when you have elk pissing on themselves a hundred yards from you and screaming or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, it's, everybody's got their own frame of reference and value set. So that's, that's part of the equation. I will also say that the idea of hiking with a bow in your hand creates a different sense of engagement even if you're not getting anything, you, you are still hunting. And I think there's a, uh, a, uh, a response to that internally in our, in our brains that, that, uh, takes us back to that primitive hunter gatherer. And I think, you think even if you're not being successful, you know, just knowing that you've got a weapon in your hand and you're covering the country and looking for an animal there, you know, that is a reward on, on a certain level. It's not, you know, if you're a highly successful hunter, it's not as much of a reward, but for some people it is. And so, you know, you don't want to take that away from them, but you know, we, it's getting pretty bad. I'll, I'll just say that the archery pressure is just completely changed in this state. And, and we're going to have, and I know they're looking at limiting numbers and, and creating a, so that all these over the counter archery units are looking at no limited entry, which I don't know, you know, usually when, their first step CPW takes is limited entry. Well, they're, they kind of go with how many tags they've been selling to. And, and it's, uh, kind of keep to kind of keep the same budget in line without going over, without allowing it to continue to grow. So, um, it's going to take some serious tag reductions to change things. And I, you know, there's a, there's an experience thing that it used to be where you'd get an archery license and part of, the allure of that archery hunt was the fact that you had the mountain and the woods to yourself. And it's like, it's, you know, the amount of impact archery hunters have now is 
is so much different than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. And it, it is, it is amazing to me what, what you see nowadays. So, um, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. We've wanted, we want, we wanted more hunter engagement. We, you know, we've heard about that and I've heard, you know, Matt Ranella talk about that. Like, do we really want more hunter engagement at this point? Well, I, th- I think and, in, we, I saw like Tanner and I'm friends with Tanner, but he posted about, I don't want to hear, this was a while ago. I mean, a few months, a few weeks, I don't know, whatever ago. Like, I don't want to hear any shit about, we need more hunters. We don't, I think he's wrong. We may not want yeah. more hunters in the field. You can't tell me we don't need more people to vote. Oh, we need more hunters in the ballot box. <laughs> yeah, so that, I guess, like, I agree with Tanner. Like, yeah, I, I don't want more hunters around me, but I also yeah. know we need more numbers. And to me, and again, this is, you know, like what I just talked about. I'm not trying to take anything away from anyone. I'm trying to give them some advice that the experience could be better if, if some yeah. things changed. And limiting you know so we don't lower the budget for the um cpw uh when i say that so lowering the budget limiting numbers increasing some prices um is is a a good way to look or a good a way to look at it meaning i understand if you're tight with money i get all that but i'm looking at it for better experience for the hunter and also increasing the population and the age class that would be a way to do it like of like when i saw tanner post that i'm like yeah i get it dude but we're getting our fucking asses handed to us. Well, not we anymore. I'm in Wyoming in this state. Love res- re- loves residents. Colorado is getting fucked like a football bat. And if there was more numbers or more powerful numbers, it would make a bigger impact than lessening the numbers or lessening the votes to me. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's uh, we're, we're talking about a lot of stuff that just doesn't seem to be very positive in the hunting world. And, uh, which is unfortunate because, but I think it's, uh, there's some hard truths that are going on out there right now. And, you know, it's, we got to be aware of all this stuff that's going on. What do you think and, of uh, that though? Like, what do you think as far as, um, you know, obviously, yeah, well, I don't want more people around me in the woods. Nobody, nobody does really. But, um, what do you think, you know, as far as like what with Tanner was posting and that kind of general thought process, I mean, my, my thing is I want more people voting. And that means generally they're going to have to get into hunting. What's your outlook on that? Oh man. You know, I think one of the best things we could do as hunters is share me and, you know, non hunters and just to, you know, reinforce the, the, you know, the idea of that this is more than just, uh, you know, going out and killing animals. We're, we're completing the circle of engagement in, in the outdoor world and we're bringing meat home and, and we're eating it and, and sharing that. And I think that the, you know, creating acceptance that way, you know, maybe it will make a difference. Maybe it won't, but I think it's important to do that. And I know you do a lot of that. You've talked about it and I've done it too. And I think that's a, a something that every hunter should be aware of and attempt to do is, is when you get meat, share it. And, you know, aside from that, you know, ter- you know, the impressions that, are often created um, are negative ones that, you know, we have all these connotations that follow us around us, you know, especially if you, if you throw the word trophy hunter in there, you know, people really have a problem because there's an automatic assumption by, by non hunters that you kill the animal and leave the, leave everything but the head there, which is so far from the truth. It's not even funny. 
But, you know, just because somebody's a selective, I, I, I like to say selective sportsman, which is, you know, probably a kind of a whitewash, pussified answer. But, you know, that in essence, you, that's what you're doing. You're, you're just more selective. I, I don't kill as many animals, but, you know, when I do, I, I usually kill something that's, you know, a pretty decent buck, bull, whatever it is. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm willing to hold out. And I, I'm willing to go home empty-handed. And so, um, you know, that being said, I, I have to do that in order to maintain the kind of quality that I'm looking for. But, you know, back to what your, your question was regarding this, uh, there's no easy answers on any of this, Aaron. And, and, you know, we, we got to do our part and, 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 you know, it starts from, you know, posting on social media, sharing meat and a lot of, and your, just your actions interacting with people and, and, you know, there's like this, uh, you know, sometimes there's a mentality with hunters like, you know, strap that buck to the, to the top of the four wheeler in the back of the truck and screw anybody. If they don't like it, it's my right to do that. Okay. But you understand that that carries a pretty negative connotation and most people don't want to see a freaking raghorn bull strapped to a four wheeler going down the highway with its tongue hanging out. It's, it's just gross. <laughs> <laughs> just, just so you could say I got my bull in a in a public forum of driving down the highway. So just just being careful like that, it it just makes sense. I mean, you know, I say this from a position of uh, just life and where I'm at right now. And, and uh, recently, and it really struck a chord with me, and it, and it applies so much to social media and what we see in it right now. But. Um, the quote was, beware of wisdom that wasn't hard-earned. Yeah, that's a good one. That is yeah. a good one. <laughs> yeah. You know, there, there's a lot of instant experts on Instagram right now. And, uh, you know, they're they're parroting things they've seen and watched and other people's content and whatnot. And they, their knowledge is based off what they've garnered from basically surfing the internet and, and from what other people have told them. It's not based on a life of experience in the field. My, my opinions and my knowledge are based on doing this. You know, I'm, I'm 56 right now and I'm doing it my whole life. I moved to Colorado when I was 21 specifically because I wanted a big game hunt in what I thought was the best place to be in the West. And so I've seen the evolution. I've seen the evolution of myself as a hunter and I've learned things and I've figured things out. And I've also seen the evolution of, you know, the boom and bust of, of wildlife cycles, you know, the elk, elk population going up and the deer population going down and great deer hunting at times. So I, have, I feel like I have a really strong frame of reference for where we're at right now. And we're in a bad place. We're in a really bad place. I mean, and not simply just, you know, the quality of hunting, but, you know, the, the future of where things are going. It's I've never felt so pessimistic about things as I do right now because I've got my eyes wide open. I'm looking at what's going on and, and I see so many people that are worried about stupid shit like that dude selling t-shirts and hats in Idaho, you know, and, and people want you to publicly excoriate him. Like who gives a shit? You know, silence is, you know, when you're indifferent, that is one of the biggest insults you can give somebody. If you do not give a shit about them, they, they mean nothing to you in your world. And if you want to make a statement, freaking don't pay any attention to them. 
you know, because that's what a lot of these people want is the attention. So that being said, it's like we got some problems. And uh, I just think it's super important for people to be aware of what's going on right now. You know, sorry you can't go shed hunting until May 1st. I'm really sorry. Need a hug? Okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sorry. I don't give yeah. a fuck. And I, I mean, man, I have friends who are shed hunters, but it's like, look. Yeah. It's, it's, it's shed hunting, you know, I, I mean, like, let's say like somebody brought it up to me. What if somebody said, uh, you couldn't take photos till May 1st. I'm like, that's a stretch, man. We're going to have to get a better analogy. Like why on earth (laughs) would I not be, you know, like, but let's say whatever, let's say somebody said, Aaron, the numbers are down in Colorado this year. You can't hunt mule deer. I'd be like, man, yeah, I get it bummer that'd be it yeah 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 it sucks I, you know and uh, well you're only saying that because you can go hunt other places well yeah of course that's p- part of it but th- there's there is a good reason in my mind like not because the colorado's telling me not because i read it on the online from my own personal experience somebody said man they're stopping all mule deer hunting for the next five years in colorado my first thing would be man that's going to take a hit on the monetarily speaking for the you know cpw um, and then I'd be like, man, that's probably going to increase some elk hunting. I bet some mule deer hunters yeah. are probably going to be elk hunters. You know, I'm looking, looking at the big picture, but, but for yeah, just me, for example, my perspective, if you told me that I would, uh, there'd people that just be screaming, I can't deer hunt for five years. And I'd be like, thank God. That yeah. would be my, my, thank God. Somebody fricking did something to try to improve the deer hunting in this state. Yeah. And that's, and there's, there's quite- there's places in Colorado, if we stopped and we changed things right now, it'd take a decade for them to recover from a mule deer standpoint. It, it's that bad. I mean, if we if we made drastic changes right now, it'd still take a decade to change and recover. I, I, I would say that, and I hate to say this because you know deer better than me, 80% would need five years to be in its glory days. 80% yeah. of the areas which you and I say argue are you agreeing with that I'd say 80% of the areas oh. would be money in five give years you, give me an example when when Colorado changed the uh mule deer management I think it was in 1999 maybe 2000 where they went to completely limited tags and you looked at Boone and Crockett entries 2004 2005 and 2006 were the the top Boone and Crockett years in Colorado for that time period until the winter of 07, 08. And that was 98 is when that happened. Yeah. So five years, that's what it took for a lot of places. Problem is in a lot of places, we don't even have the numbers right now. Those because of, uh, you know, chronic disease and winter and that kind of thing. So that's a component that's in the mix. And and when I say some areas would take a decade to grow, to recover, it, it would, for some areas, it would take a decade to recover. Other areas would be five years, like you said. So it's well, building the age class. It takes five years to build the age class. You, know, you look at this as how many people right now that hashtag conservation and everything else um, said, hey, we're asking, uh, we got a big ask. Will everybody that's been putting in for mule deer keep putting in for the next five years, donating to the cause? for the betterment of the mule deer population so the CPW can not take that big of a hit. How, what percentage would keep doing that? Like I'd pay today yeah. personally. I'd be like, yeah, fuck it. I'll pay. Right. But I love mule deer. Yeah. <laughs> Humans in general, you're selfish. I mean, that's just a, you know, a natural uh, aspect of humans. It, it doesn't matter if it's hunting or other things. People are selfish. 
and they're greedy and they want what's best for themselves. And, you know, that's not, that's not being negative. That's, that's just the reality of us as a species. That's we, we think about ourselves first. It's probably a, you know, a survival mechanism from when we were cavemen, you know, you gotta, you know, think about yourself and your own family before about the people in the cave down the block. I just, I I guess I'm growing as an adult more and more because who knows what I would have said if you'd asked me, you know, 15, 20 years ago. But, you know, for 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 me on on this is like I want in, you know what I mean? So, let you know, hypothetically, right, like I've got um, two kids that work for me, Kenneth and Dan. Um, I would like to know my my daughter doesn't hunt. Right. But if it was her, she hunted out her. I'd like to know that in 15 years when they're getting closer to my age, um, fuck, I'm old, I guess. No, it'd be more 20 to 25 years. They're getting close to my age, um, that it's still there. Right. And so I'm, I'm a okay with giving some of that up and, you know, you have to look like you said, it's a big picture overcrowding in other States, things like that. But the other, uh, in, I mean, the other possibility is we wait too long and it's fucking gone for a long time. And maybe ever. Yeah. One thing that I've, I've uh, I don't, I don't want to say come to terms, but one, one thing that uh, probably I'm interested in more than, um, uh, more than I have in the past is the sense of adventure and the experience of the hunt. And uh, you know what, what, right. I'm not getting um, a good feeling about Colorado right now in regards to that, just because of the overcrowding and, you know, the experience, I just don't enjoy it that much. And as, as I used to, and, you know, you think about, you know, what you get, you know, on a drop camp in Alaska for like a caribou hunt versus, you know, an overcrowded Colorado unit. And you and I both know that, man, that, that experience you get from that is so much greater than what you're feeling here in Colorado with the, the orange army in certain places or, or, you know, a trailhead with 25 Toyota Tacomas at it during archery season. It's, it's a, it's a different experience. And I, and I'm, I'm chasing that right now. I'm interested in, in more experiences like that. And, you know, I can't afford, you know, any of the, the North country sheep hunts COVID and, and the doll sheep die off in Alaska really cratered the idea of sheep hunting that the prices have just gone through the roof because of those two things. But, um, you know, some of the other stuff and and looking for those experiences that are just different and allow you some, you know, uh, the experience to be better. I want to ask Tom about that. I asked Chris Rowe the same thing. Um, Mike Duplan in 2005, and Mike, you had, let's just say anywhere between an OTC to a three point draw unit tag for mule deer and elk. Okay. What, what, what would you with, with 12 days, 10 days off, let's, or whatever, nine days, whatever, two weekends in a week. What would you say the chances of, of Mike shooting a three thirty plus bull and a one eighty plus mule deer in 2005? <laughs> Well, let's see. I killed a uh, Boone and Crockett mule deer in 2003, 2004, and 2006. So I struck out in 05. So maybe that's not a good one, but, you but I was also. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, those, those three years I shot Boone and Crockett mule, mule deer in 2005. I didn't, but didn't mean that I didn't see anything. It means that my uh, value set was getting where I was passing up more deer because it was 
scratching the itch and, and wanting to find something really special. And that's what I did in 2006. And it had nothing to do with how hard I, I just found a deer and I had, you know, it was uh, me hunting and having my skill sets and the ability to pass deer up and the drive and everything all came together in 2006. And I found the deer I was looking for. So that being said, that, that was a big deer. I could find them big elk. Um, not as easy, but I knew where to go if I wanted to find a big elk, you know, the limited entry units, uh, for muzzleloader that maybe took, you know, a couple points to draw at that point. Um, that's where I would go for a, a bigger elk. Um, I think elk have gotten the elk hunting on public land has gotten better in some places, but I've also figured some stuff out since then. So, you know, as I've gotten older, I've figured out what kind of hell holes that these bulls like. You know, I killed my first really big bull in 2007 and, uh, I figured some stuff out and, and got fairly consistent with killing some big elk in late season on public land because I paid attention enough to know that, Hey, there's something I keep seeing. There's a pattern that's repeating itself. I think these bulls are going to be there right at the end of maybe the four season or something like that. And so I figured some stuff out and made it happen. And, uh, in turn in 2007, 2008 winter, the mule deer hunting cratered. And so I, I killed another big buck in 2012. I killed another Boone and Crockett 30 incher up in Summit County in 2012. But that was a deer that in 2007, 2008 was two years old. He was a young, tough buck and he made it through the seasons and figured some stuff out. And so, you know, the, the tag numbers increased in, in through the 2000 and teens and, you know, the, there's less and less. And so that was one of the last really big deer I killed. And and, uh, you know, I've also passed up some deer through the years that, you know, may, looking back, maybe I should have taken, but it doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm very happy with where I'm at in life right now with the animals I've taken, but it's a different, it's a different world out there than it was in the early 2000s, like you're asking. So, yeah. That's like, what would that take you now to, uh, would you, could you do it an entire season? Could you find a Boone and Crockett, um, buck now in those same areas? Not a chance. Yeah, that's I mean, kind of my know, point. <laughs> a couple of units. You know, I, I went elk hunting with my daughter, um, and what I just explained as far as figuring some some stuff out and knowing what I know, my daughter's killed a couple nice bulls in the last few years, and so we found a bull. It was in a spot, and I had knee replacement, you know, about a year and a half ago, and uh, it was in a place that was an absolute hellhole, and I and it, the bull was just not big enough that it was probably a 320 bull and uh she wasn't too excited about it you know because she's killed a couple of really nice bulls with me and so we elected to pass that bull which you know somebody tells you you passed up an over-the-counter 320 bull on public land i think you're an idiot but there's a there's a logistical aspect of getting that thing out it was it was big i knew i could make some phone calls and uh call in the troops and get some help from people to pack out but I don't want to do that too much. I want to save that, that card for <laughs> a really big one. You know, like I know I've got some freaking buddies that are younger. I mean, shit, I'm old enough to be their dad, but I mean, it's strange that, you know, like Tanner and, and the Gillespie brothers and, and these guys are some of my best buddies and, and, but they're all, I'm also old enough to be their dad. And, but I know if uh, I needed help, I could call those guys and they'd come give me a hand, but I don't want to, 
play that card unless I really need to. So yeah, Tanner's not really human. Um, and yeah. I mean, I and I can get after it, right? I mean, I I I can hold my own. I think he would walk me into the fucking ground like that dude can can go. Um, at a, at a, yeah, he, yeah, crazy. He's phenomenal. I talked to his brother Cody about it. And I said, "What the hell is his deal?" He says, "He's always been like that, man." I was like, "What kind of cardio does he do? He doesn't do a freaking thing." Uh, whether or not that'll hold up with age, we'll find out. But no, he's a uh, he did some stuff on his sheep, and I I was like, that was really humbling for me. Um, to go along with him on his sheep hunt. It's like, I was like, I can't, I cannot do this with these dudes. I mean, they, they just walk, could walk away from me. And, uh, you know, I'm probably, you know, 25 pounds overweight and 56 with a knee replacement. So that's, you know, what, one of the things that's happened to me in the last couple of years is I've gotten these offhanded compliments. Like, man, I hope I can do what you do when I'm your age. It's like, you know what? Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. Well, oh. what is, what is the, uh, the sloth, uh, hiking crew, you know, I'll get there when I get there, but I'll get there. No, that's what we were doing. We were walking back into the, the hinterlands of this mountain range and, and, you know, we camped in the same spot and when they got up in the morning, I said, listen, man, you guys just go, there's, there's a trail here. I'm not going to get lost. I'm a big boy. I'll meet you up there later. And they just freaking motored up the trail and, my sorry ass was behind them, but I still got there. So, um, That's yeah, all it's, it's, <laughs> it's fun. But what you said about Tanner is like, he, he goes like nobody. I, I don't think I've ever seen anybody that can go like he does. So, yeah, he's fit. He's, he's made uh, comments before about like guiding bow hunters. And I've had people, you know, message me, um, to like, uh, Hey, do you know him? Like, yeah. Yeah. I know him. And, and, uh, man, you need to go after him. And I'm like, no, I need to agree with him. Uh, and I'm a bow hunter and I'm just saying it's, it's not, um, I have nothing against bow hunters. Obviously I'm a diehard bow hunter. It is up to the bow hunter to hit what he's aiming at and not the guy's fault when you don't. And it, um, especially now last, you know, two or three years where I'm, you know, 40, 50, you know, clients for, for out and mule deer. Um, it sucks when your guy comes, he can't hit what he's aiming at. So I'm like, man, Tanner's kind of correct, right? I mean, you know, take it for what it's worth. If somebody says, hey, you know, Aaron, you're, you got a really fat head. I'm like, yeah, it is. You know, I got to buy big hats. You know, just take it for what it's worth. But he, that dude has a sense of humor as much as he can hike. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a funny fucker. Yeah, I like it. So we, we both can uh, quote the big Lebowski and use it in uh, conversation. <laughs> on a daily <laughs> oh shit well what uh you know he went with me on my mountain goat hunt. you and i haven't talked in uh, on a podcast yet about my mountain goat hunt but uh it was a a freaking awesome experience and you know i killed old granddaddy of the, the mountain range and tanner was with me and and uh you know you gave me some hot tips i i got a turn back tag as you know um which for those that aren't familiar with it, when you apply for a limited license in Colorado and some, some hunts and units, if uh, you don't draw, you're, you're still on a list in theory in the computer that if somebody turns their tag back in that they can't use or for whatever reason, they go down the list of uh, basically the numerical order of what the draw would have been um, and offer that tag to people. So, Goat season had already opened in in that year. What was it? Uh, let's see. What's twenty twenty one? And uh, so I got this email and basically said, "Hey, this, 
mountain goat tag if you want it. And so I called the guy up and I, and I said, yeah, I'm calling about the goat tag. And he's like, okay. I'm like, well, I, I guess I have to say that I, I want it. <laughs> like I was almost a smart ass about it. It's like, dude, he said, no, he said, do you want it? I'm like, well, yeah, that's why I'm calling. <laughs> so I got it. Yeah. But I was also helping. I had two friends that had bighorn sheep tags and the state auction tag uh, that I guided with a couple other guys on private property. Um, I was committed to that. And then my, my buddy, Jeff Demosky, his daughter, Maddie had drawn a moose tag. My buddy, Aaron Nielsen had drawn a moose tag and all this shit going on. And you know, it was pretty tough to, I didn't have much time to scout. So that's part of the, the reason for our conversations is this place that I was hunting. You had, you had quite a bit of experience and you paid attention to goats over the years and all that. So you gave me a couple of hot tips and I ended up finding a giant old Billy pretty proximal to one of the spots you told me about where you seen a big Billy. I mean, it wasn't in the same uh, basin, but it was kind of around the corner, maybe a mile and a half away, or certainly within the range of what a mature old goat would have been. Whether or not it was the same animal, shit, we don't know. But I, I know I why they, I know why they live there. Is it fucking sucks yeah. to get there? It is horrible. Yeah, yeah. And it, for me, it wasn't that bad. The route we went in, um, but it's long. I mean, it was yep. eight miles walking in there, and I, and I, you know, I've got to also say that I'd had this knee replacement six months before, so breaking her, break her in, right? The fitness, and but it was a long walk, and I, you know, I was pretty determined. So there's a lot to be said for that. And, uh, found this goat and, and, uh, it all came together with a couple of days left in the season. I think I, I might have killed him on a Friday and the season ended on Sunday, something like that. And Tanner, you know, he was pretty excited. He's guided a few goat hunters and, and, you know, we're friends. So I told him about it and he wanted to come along. So he volunteered to, to come along. Had a couple other people volunteer also but i just don't didn't want to turn it into a shit show either it's like so um yeah i I basically this goat and it was pretty awesome man i first spotted him from probably five miles away in just a white spot and and i thought i saw it move and and i had to go a couple miles closer just to see if it was a goat or not sure enough it was and went another mile closer and and got some long long range uh uh, digiscope pictures of them. But I could tell looking through the spotting scope, even at four or five miles away, that he was just a white buffalo. Just, you know, and he's all by himself, of course, so that's a good indicator of a Billy, but he just had the look, you know, just a freaking big old, you know, arching shoulder. And, you know, this is uh, last week of September, first part of October, so he's pretty haired up too, but it was such an impressive creature. It was, you know, it was a pretty easy hunt, but. I guess a lot of it had to do with the fact that you, you gave me a tip and, you know, my knowledge of hunting and animal behavior all paid out in a relatively short amount of time. And there's also the added luck of even finding an animal like that. So it was pretty exciting, but I wanted to give you some public credit for helping me out with that. So. Oh, no, no problem. I was actually fishing uh, when I saw that thing and, and a friend of ours, I'm not going to bring his name up. uh, He had the tag the year I saw it. And it was six that year. So I think you, you, it had to have been nine when you killed it, maybe 10, because I'm pretty sure he was six when I saw him. Yeah. If, it, if it was the same goat, but either either way, um, that dude was like, where? And I was like, told him, and I, and I could tell him, like, well, that, that, that goat is marked as safe. He is not going in there. Um, 
And so it was for me, I just kept it in my memory bank or whatever, but I think you're underselling saying easy. It It's not that bad, but dude, it is a long ways in there. Like most people are not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a long ways. Yeah. yeah. Tanner walked in there about an hour and a half. It seemed like. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. I mean, the, that, that was eight or nine years old, right? They're 10. I mean, that goat you shot was like old, old. Yeah, no, he, he was uh, 10 years old. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, pretty awesome. There's pictures on my Instagram. Uh, people can go in there and scan down through some shit and see pictures of Tanner and I and the goat. Some of the digital pictures I get. It, yeah, it was a great story. I, I wrote a, um, an article for Western Hunter Magazine on it, and it was I really... I'm super grateful for how it all turned out. You know, just a great experience. And yeah, it also got me, it was like the last, uh, last one of the hard tags to draw in Colorado that I got. I, I've been pretty fortunate with drawing tags in Colorado. I've got a bighorn tag. Uh, I won the state bighorn r- raffle at a Shiris moose tag and killed a 51 inch Boone and Crockett Shiris bull, killed a Boone and Crockett, uh, bighorn ram and and this billy would have been uh, boone and crockett but he knocked an inch off one tip so that that kept him that but that's a, you know that's that's, not why i'm not hunting yeah it's, that's, a, it's a barong you know yeah but that's saying something for colorado um yeah you know colorado just doesn't have that big of goats or that old of goats really um and i mean for me like a six-year-old goat is he's getting pretty yeah, ancient like six is old yeah yeah, Tanner said, I think Tanner said he's been in on about six mountain goat hunts, and he said that that Billy was by far the biggest bodied uh, Billy that he's ever been in on. So, um, yeah, it's worth, you know, mountain goats are thing, it's worth looking at. But, you know, it was, it was a super enjoyable hunt. I got lucky with the weather, you know, early October, wait until the end of the season to kill them. And, and uh, I think uh, – I think Maddie Demosky killed her moose. Might have been that day or the same day I got my goat. You know, after I got out. No, it was the day after I got my goat. After I got out, I uh, went up and gave them a hand, Jeff and, and Maddie, getting the moose out. And she killed it up like shit, damn near 12,000 feet. And that was pretty crazy, killing a moose up at that elevation. And uh, it, was, it was just a great season, you know, saw some really big rams and hit the dirt and mountain goat and moose and that kind of thing. So a lot of fun. Um, but you know, for you to, uh, give me that little X on a map where you'd seen that old Billy was part of the process. And, and so, um, we'll never know if it was the same one, but it was pretty cool. I tell you what's important about that is this, that, that in the memory bank, that there's old goats in there, but again, there's a reason. And I, I've been on a ton of goats and, goat hunts in, in Colorado, um, both, you know, both helping guys who draw nanny tags and, and Billy tags. And, um, you know, the one thing like, yeah, dude, they just don't live in easy spots is the thing. And when no. I say that, like if you draw yeah. a tag like that from out of state, um, and you went on an elk hunt and the elk hunt was rough, you're probably going to get fucked up. Like, and when I don't mean that rolling off a cliff, although you could, you know, they live at 13,000 feet. And like when the case of where Mike's is, it's seven to nine miles before the party gets started. Mike didn't include that's before the climb. Then you got to climb up to him. No, you know, it was a, that was a really tough night coming out of there. Um, getting back to, I had one of your Kafaru tarps set up for my camp. That it was 
the weather is going to be pretty mild, relatively speaking. And, you know, went light went that, that way. And I really uh, appreciate the tent uh, or the tarp tent uh, approach um, to hunting. It allows you to be pretty lightweight and flexible. And there's a lot of protection underneath the tarp if you guy a mountain. And uh, I wouldn't be afraid to use one of those. We, we use them in Alaska on my doll sheep hunt with, uh, back in 2016. And, uh, yeah, that's a, a good way to go. But, you know, Tanner... I, I basically had uh, back straps and loins off my billy and uh, the life size hide and head. And Tanner carried all the rest of the meat, and it was still a freaking grind getting back to that camp that night. It's you know we we found there was a trail that went up the drainage, which helped out a lot. That means we weren't just bushwhacking. But when you're walking up a trail like a Forest Service trail, there's some switchbacking shit you got to deal with, and you put on. A lot of extra miles, but yeah, we got back well after dark. But what a great day, you know. It's uh, you know, finishing that check mark, and I, you know, at this point, uh, that gives me eight out of ten Colorado's ten big game species. I also drew a desert sheep tag in 2004, so I do have a desert sheep in out of Colorado. So all I've got left is a black bear and a whitetail, and I've killed both black bear and whitetail, but I have not killed them in Colorado, so I'm. That's kind of a, a goal that's um, pretty high on my list right now. Um, and thank God that's an so, attainable one. Most guys are left at the oh, end with like desert yeah. and moose. Like you can kill a whitetail yeah. and, and black bear next this year if you wanted. Sure, yeah. I, yeah, I did. It wasn't just wasn't a big priority for me last year. I had a, another sheep hunt that I was, a couple of sheep hunts that I was helping out on. So I didn't get to spend much time in September after the, the black bear and then uh, the whitetail thing just didn't work out last year but you know we'll figure that out it's not a big deal yeah not desert so, not desert sheep hunt big deal um so you're you're good on that one but yeah well yeah so man i've had you on for almost two hours we should probably stop shooting the shit so i can let you go back and get on your your day um yeah, you too I, yeah I, I, what are you going to do some photography today? Yeah, I think so. Um, I definitely go in tomorrow. I um, kind of the beauty of where I'm at here. Um, you know, I can do a loop and get moose, bighorn sheep, uh, elk, and mule deer, and uh, a lot of bald eagles. You know, within an hour loop of my house, um, the mountain goat's a little different. So, you know, for me, man, every day is an adventure. You know, jump in the truck, haul ass, and there's going to be something yeah. worth taking a photo photo of or taking yeah, a look we- at. So. We keep threatening to talk about photography, but uh, it seems like uh, that gets pushed to the back burner relative to a lot of other stuff. But I'll offer up one tip uh, as far as photography. Equipment isn't as much of a deal. Um, What really matters in photography, in my opinion, is your composition. And my advice to people that are doing it is pay attention to what looks good when you look at other photos. And uh, break it apart break it down in your own mind. Why does this picture look good? And, and so go that approach and then try to emulate some of the stuff that you see that looks really cool. And so that's, that's composition is probably, if not the most important one of, one of the top factors of a great photo. So I've seen some of your stuff, like uh, we talked about, I made some comments on it, you know, that I think it was a big one sheep photo that you posted and, uh, not too long ago that I, I commented on, but it was great composition and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's fun. I'll offer. Go ahead. Unsolicited, unsolicited tip. 
Yeah, well, one, at one point in time, we'll do a podcast on just photography. And uh, on that note, um, Mike, you know, Mike Wright, well, tell everybody where they can find your articles and look at, you know, look at some of your photos on social shit like that. Sure. I just uh, uh, finished up writing an article for Western Mac- Hunter Magazine. I've been writing for them for quite a few years now. Um, it's called uh, Mule Deer Loving Them to Death. And uh, it's a pretty important piece on what I feel is the future of mule deer, mule deer management and where we're going with things. And I, and I, it's not just a Colorado based article. There's a lot of stuff uh, that's addressed in other Western States. And so I basically did six pages and, and I probably could have done a, a whole book on what I feel are the mule deer woes right now. But uh, that's where you can find me. I, I try to write for every issue of Western hunter, but don't seem to always make deadlines, especially in the fall when hunting season around, but and then my name on Instagram is uh, what uh, you can find some of my stuff there. My my Facebook isn't probably the place to look for me because uh, I generally don't take any any new followers because it's more of a family and friends type thing for for that. And so, if you want to see more content, go to Instagram and you'll see a lot of stuff there. Mike Duplan D U P L A N. So. Right on. Well, I appreciate you hopping on here, Mike. And uh, yeah, at some point in time, we'll talk about photography. But yeah, thanks a lot. Make it up to see you here sometime soon, and we'll do an in-person podcast. That'll work. We can go you take know. photos of sheep while we're at it. Yeah, and you can drink your peanut butter whiskey, and I'll drink my Jameson's. Yeah, perfect. That'll, that'll work, man. Uh, shit, well, have a good day. Thanks again. And yeah, everybody check out Mike's stuff, and definitely check out his articles with Western Hunter. All right, and be safe out there today, Aaron, and uh, everybody listening, don't let any of this stuff bother you. If, if you don't agree with what we said, that's fine. Um, don't feel the need that you need to email Aaron and pitch him out or, or me either, because frankly, that kind of shit isn't, isn't productive. It's like, you know, just move on with your life and, and, and enjoy what you got and try to be productive. So, Yeah, good advice, man. I appreciate it. Take it easy. You too, bud.